0: I know Larry can sink in. Can <laughs> I'm going to kind of move this out of the way a little bit. You can turn it off if you want. All right. So, like I said, we are going to be in the Book of Esther. So, uh, go ahead and turn there if you would like, and uh, we and go ahead and use the table of contents if you need it. Right? Because that's why God put it there. There's nothing wrong with that. So turn to Esther. And before we get into this story, I want to make a couple of things clear about the next three weeks. I'm going to be using clips from a movie uh, called One Night with the King, okay? That movie, like a lot of other Bible movies, are not accurate to Scripture, okay? I need to be very clear about that. I have picked several clips out of the movie that represent what we're talking about everything but I do not want you to go rent this movie on Amazon Prime or something like that and think it's biblical because it is not there are a lot of liberties that this movie has taken so I don't want you to go home and say well I'm just gonna instead of reading the book of Esther I'm just gonna watch that movie don't do that that is not a good way Uh, to deal with this. So uh, again, the the movie is One Night with the King. It is not very biblically accurate, but there are uh, clips out of it that I'm going to use for the next three weeks to kind of help us get an idea of what's going on uh, during those times. So the big, you know, one, one of the reasons I think Esther's, David and Goliath is my first favorite Old Testament story. I think Esther might be my second one. And, and Esther, the book of Esther has a lot of plot twists. There's a lot of turns. There's a lot of surprises. There's a lot of uh, irony that happens towards the end. And I absolutely love uh, one of the scenes in the movie uh, that we'll get to eventually. But uh, there's a lot, a lot of things that happen in the book of Esther. And and uh, interestingly enough, God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. Now here's what I want you to understand. And I'm going to give you the application. For your life already this morning. So you can sleep through the rest of the service. If you want to. Really want you to. The application is this. Even though. It does not appear. That God is present. In whatever you're going through. God is in the details of of everything that you're going through. And we see that in the book of Esther and, and how how everything just works, works right towards the, the final scene, the final uh, idea. And God is in absolutely the littlest uh, details. So God is in the details. Now, and that's the way that the story of Esther starts in chapter one. If you'll turn there with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. So, uh, Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And this is what happened uh, during the time of Xerxes. The, the, the Xerxes that ruled over 127 providences stretching from India to Cush. At the time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes, the nobles, and the provid- uh, providences uh, were, were present uh, for one full 180 days. Off the top of your head, how long is that? Six months. Six months this party went on. <laughs> Yeah, and it's going to get worse too. So 180 days he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel uh, of Susa. The garden had hanging white, and blue linens fastened with cords and white linens and purple material to silver rings on uh, marble, marble pillars. There were couches of gold, silver on mosaic pavement, of porphyry marble, mother of pearl, and of other costly stones. Wine, and here's what I want you to pay attention to, wine was served in goblets of gold, one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man uh, as he would or what he wished. Verse nine says, King Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes so keep this in mind the king commanded that each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions what could go wrong right <laughs> So Vashti she has the, she has her own party that's going on this own her own banquet that's going on and during the seven the seven day uh, party, so he has a six-month party where all his, his his officials are there and military leaders and all that kind of stuff. And then the seven-day party, and there's no limit on the amount of alcohol that they can drink. Then he starts taking advice from these same people. That does not sound very wise, <laughs> right? And so uh, there's some people that believe that Vashi refused to come because she just didn't want to be paraded around in front of everybody. Uh, some folks believe it was because it was protest to the war that was coming up. They're just different things. Uh, but, but regardless of the reason, Vasti refused to come in front of the king. Well, the king asked his uh, advisors what needed to be done. And so they advised him to remove her from the queenship. And she was never to come before the king again. And a new queen should be crowned. Now, before you make some, you know, maybe you feel sorry for Vashti or anything like that, like, uh, well, she did the right thing and she's got punished for it. Well, history will tell us that uh, at the point that this all was going down, uh, she was actually pregnant and she gives birth to the eventual heir of Xerxes and the, the edict that he gives is only to come before the king. Well, when he dies and the new heir comes, she's allowed to return back to the kingdom. And so that is one of the, one of the details that God is involved in during this entire story. He still took care of Vashti. He still took care of, of Xerxes' uh, heir. God is in the details. Even when you don't see him, even when it does not look Or appear that he is around. He is always there. Now, that brings us to chapter 2. Now, the Persians were getting ready to go to war against Greece... And it was uh, during this time that Xerxes determined that he needed to, when he would leave to go to war and, and, and participate in that, there had to be a queen in charge, somebody that he trusted. So he uh, went on uh, this mission. So go to uh, Esther chapter 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 4. Esther chapter 2, 1 through 4. It says, Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and the decree about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every uh, of the uh, of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem of the citadel uh, of Susa, let them be placed under the care of Hege, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young women, y- the young woman who pleases the king, be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. So we've met the king. Now we are introduced to Mordecai and Esther. And as as Mordecai pointed out in that clip, he has instructed Esther to uh, not reveal that she is a Jew for various reasons, for her safety and for different things. But again, that is another detail that is going to become... Very key later in the story, and they get dragged Esther and, and uh, her uncle Mordecai uh, get uh, dragged into this story at this point. And and uh, Hadessa, or Esther, as they uh called her, uh, they were taken, she was taken with the other women to the, the kingdom. Now, this. Basically what's going to happen in chapter 2 is a big, long, 12-month beauty pageant is going to take place. And so they go through 12 months. Each lady goes through 12 months of a period where they are just pampered and and, uh, everything, everything that they want and need is brought to them. And so they are presented to the king one by one in the best possible manner they could be presented in, and uh, it takes a year. Now you know sometimes it takes Lori uh, about an hour to get ready for Sunday morning. An hour. Now we have a year that it takes for these ladies. Uh, so they must have been in rough shape. But anyway, so they, uh, so they, uh, they, uh, after a year, they are presented to. Uh, exerxes, now go to chapter 2 and verse 17 we're going to read a a handful of verses out of chapter 2 this is the passage that I read earlier it says now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the the king gave a a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the providence uh, and distributed gifts with royal liberty. (coughs) Esther won the favor of uh, the king and was crowned queen. But I also tell you, if you read chapter two, and I encourage you to do that, because there's a lot in there, there's a lot of information in there. But chapter two also tells us that that Esther was, she was beautiful on the outside, but also she was beautiful on the inside. And she won the favor of everybody that she came in contact with. And so it was no surprise, uh, throughout the course of of chapter two, that the king falls in love with her because she is a beautiful person inside and out. And she she treated everybody with respect and everybody respected her. And so that is uh, another important thing to to make sure that we bring up. And now let's go to uh, verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept a secret, had kept secret her family background and nationality, as Mordecai had told her to do. For the, she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Verse twenty-one. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, sena and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. God has just placed an ace in the hole for the Jewish nation. And I love how all these things, you know, once we get through the book of Esther, all these things, you will be able to see how God is in the details, how he is working everything together for his purpose, for his glory. That's what's going on. It's not for Esther's glory. It's not for Mordecai's, not for the king's. It is for his glory, and he is is putting into place all the chess pieces that need to be played at the end of the story. And I love, I just absolutely love how this story comes together. Let's go to chapter three. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, the son of Hamadatha, and the Agite, Uh, Elevating him to giving him and giving him the seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. So he's basically second in command. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down uh, and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor to him. So we have just been introduced to the villain of the story. So we've got the king, we've got Esther, we've got Mordecai, and now we have a guy named Haman. He is, like I said, he's going to be the villain of the story, the guy that you're going to love to hate throughout the entire time. Now, Haman has a history with the Jewish nation. Now, history will tell us that Uh, it's basically like the Hatfield and McCoys, but at a a totally different level, because Haman was a distant relative of Agag, which which we find in 1 Samuel 15, God, that's where God told Saul, I want you to go kill all the Amalekites, kill all of them, everything that they own, destroy everything that they do, Saul didn't quite do what God told him to do, and that's why David ended up taking over, But, but Haman's Like grandfather, great-grandfather, whatever it is, uh, was King Agag. So so Haman and all his relatives, they have had a a chip on their shoulder for the Jewish nation for all of these years. And it's just kept stirring up, stirring up, stirring up. And so now Haman has worked his way into second-in-command of Persia. You don't think that he's got plans for the Jewish nation? You don't think that he has done this on purpose to get in a position where maybe he can make some edicts of his own and take care of some things that he feels need to be taken care of? So let's read verses 5 and 6. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor uh, to him, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the entire uh, kingdom of Xerxes. Haman hated Mordecai because he would not kneel down. Haman's got a pride issue. That's going to come back and bite him in a little bit. And so he has this pride issue going on. He rides his, his, his uh, whatever he's riding through the streets, everybody kneels down, and Mordecai is just standing up here like this at the gate. Proud as could be, and he's not going to kneel down in front of Haman. Now that makes Haman extremely upset. Then he finds out he's a Jew. And that compounds the issue. That is, that is gonna give him even more delight to take care of business the way that he, uh, he wants business to be taken care of. Now, I want you to understand something here that there's kind of an additional point here that I wanna make and, and you know, we all need to hear this every once in a while. Grudges don't help anything, do they? Holding on to anger doesn't help anything, does it? We are required by God, by Jesus, one, we need to forgive, we need to forget, and we need to move on. And folks, I'm telling you right now, if you've got some anger built up towards somebody, if you've got resentment built up towards somebody, it's going to eat at you. You know, most of the time, most of the time, the person that you're mad at doesn't even know that you're mad at them. It's like, oh, they know because every time they pass me, you know, I give them that eye. (laughs) They know I'm angry with them but you're gonna give yourself an ulcer. You're gonna give yourself some medical issues. If you don't let go of that anger, you need to forgive and forget and move on. And that's what Haman and his entire family uh, refused to do. And in fact, Matthew twenty-one twenty-six tells us, uh, and, and you've heard it said, those that murder will be held to judgment But Jesus tells us whoever is angry with another believer will be held to the same judgment. And it ends by giving instruction to believers to settle things quickly and not let them linger around to become bigger issues. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to love each other. And by this, an unbelieving world will know that we belong to him, right? It's how we treat each other. It's how we treat people outside these walls. That is what matters. Now, Haman hung on to this anger uh, towards Mordecai uh, for over four or five years, and, and you can imagine the ulcer he could have had, right? And he plotted and planned for the best opportunity to destroy Mordecai and all the Jews in the king's land. Now, let's go to uh, Esther <clears throat> chapter 3, In verse 8, skip down to verse 8, and Haman is going to put his plan in the place right now. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a a certain people dispersed among the peoples in the province uh, of the kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all the other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will uh, give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadetha, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. With the king's approval to move forward, Haman decided to cast lots. He threw some dice and that decided on what month, what day, all the Jews were going to be annihilated. So he, he cast a lot, and it came down to the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Haman got it. They go ahead to destroy all the Jews and plunder all of their homes and belongings. Haman never mentioned who these people were. Did you catch that? He kept saying in very general terms, there's a group of people, he did not say who they were or any of those type of things. And so, uh, and it would not, and it did not matter until uh, Esther uh, heritage uh, had had been revealed. So Haman sent out a decree which uh, could not be reversed once given, uh, remember the thing about the queen, that on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in verse 13, that all the Jews would be destroyed, killed, and annihilated, men, women, and children, and to plunder their goods. It is the same verbiage that uh, in the decree that the Lord uh, said to Saul that he was supposed to carry out in 1 Samuel uh, 15. Now, uh, Esther uh, Esther 3, verse 15, here's what it says, the couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Well, there we have it. Haman wins. He got his way. All the Jews are going to be destroyed. The king, Esther, and Haman all live happily ever after, right? We're going to wait. You have to wait until next week to find out what happens next. Yeah. So here's the thing I want, the takeaway I want to give you this morning. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what kind of questions you've got going on in your head. I don't know what, what you've been battling this week, this month, this year. But I believe in an all-sovereign God. I believe in a God that is all-knowing and knows absolutely everything that is happening in your life. And I also believe in a God that is in control of absolutely everything that is going on in your life. And there are going to be times when it does not appear that God is present, maybe. But that's where faith comes in, right? We have to have faith that this all-knowing, all-powerful God that we worship, that we believe in, has got this, whatever this is for you, he's got it under control. He knows what's going on, and he's not gonna leave you by yourself. And I would encourage you to to lean on that a little bit this week. And we'll probably talk about the sovereignty of God on Wednesday night, uh, this coming up Wednesday. And I would encourage you to come and and visit and and be a part of that Bible study. But God's in control, right? Well, a few of you believe it. God's in control, right? Amen. Amen. Even when it doesn't look like we kind of know what's going on, that's where faith comes in. Listen, if you want to join the church this morning, if you want to come up and uh, talk to me about being a, a, a believer, you want to be baptizing in those types of things uh, during the invitation, that is when you uh, you can do that. So let's pray, Lord. We just we just thank you for this loving group of of believers that are here today and Lord as we just we just got through the first three chapters of Esther Lord I pray that it would be evident throughout the course of the next couple of weeks that God is in control of absolutely everything. A lot of times we don't understand it. A lot of times we don't even see your presence. We don't even feel your presence. But that does not mean you are not there. And Lord, as, as we see how these details come together for your plan, for your purpose, Lord, I would just pray that we would apply that to our lives this morning. That the details are being worked out. Whatever is going on in our lives, whatever we are struggling with, the details are being worked out. And as we remain obedient to you and we follow your path, you promise to work it out for our good. Lord, I pray that we would have faith in that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.